Welcome back to the AIM Podcast. Today we sit down with special guest, creative director, fitness enthusiast, follower of Jesus, and one of my best friends, Daniel Wilson. In this episode, we talk a lot about his story, which is honestly one of the most powerful testimonies I have ever heard in my life. He is an absolute warrior. He's beaten cancer twice with a 7% chance of living. He's battled infertility and has an incredible son. What a blessing now. And uh, so many more things that have come along his journey that God has you know, brought him out of. And it's so cool to just see the strength of his faith in Jesus and the ways that he has never wavered and uh, just continues to seek him and continues to just have strong faith through it all. And he's such a, such a powerful inspiration to me and so many others. And you guys are going to love hearing his full story in this episode. We also talk about Project 7, the motivation to do it and why he, why he had the desire to do something hard like this. And hopefully, um, you know, talk more about the impact of how it made a bigger, a broader impact on those that tuned in, that those supported. And obviously there's, there's potential for more people to be involved in the coming years. But you guys are going to really enjoy this one. I'm excited to put this one out there, and especially at this time right now as we approach Christmas, as we approach the end of the year, such a powerful time for people to just take a, a second to step back and just reflect on their life and the things that they're going through, the things that they're doing, and this is an episode that will prime you, that will inspire you, it will encourage you, and it will get you fired up because this dude never, never backs down. His quote and his saying is, I'll take my chances when things get hard. I'll take my chances when the things are stacked against me. And I think that's a mindset and that's a motto that we can all apply to our life. So without further ado, let's dive right into this episode with Daniel Wilson. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the AIM podcast. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me. Super stoked. We've been wanting to do this for quite a while so it's funny we were getting breakfast earlier today after our run and we were talking about like we've been trying to make this thing happen for over a year now probably because when we first Legit met since the day i met you yeah we've been wanting to do this i want to i want to talk about how we met in a second but like we have been trying to figure this out and god's timing is so much better than ours and now that we've been able to do a really cool challenge together and just you know grow closer as brothers and now sit down and do it, i think it's going to be a much more uh, fruitful conversation. I think it'll help a lot of people. But, dude, I'm really, really stoked to have you on the show. Appreciate it, brother. How are you? How are you feeling right now? This is for people listening. This is the morning after Project Seven, the first edition of Project Seven. How would? How are you feeling? I'm pretty sore. I'm not gonna lie. I woke up at like 5 a.m. to go to the bathroom, and I was hurting. I felt it everywhere, <laughs> lower back, the quads. Like when I first stood up to. I, like my quads locked up again. Yeah, felt it everywhere. How are you? I'm, I'm honestly feeling pretty sore as well. My, my quads, I think, are the most sore, at least the most notice, noticeably sore. But I would agree. My, I mean, my shoulders, man. And that was like, we can, we'll get into this later when we talk about Project 7, but that was the thing I was most concerned of was how the shoulders would hold up with that much volume of you know, pull-ups, which obviously use shoulders, and push-ups, which use shoulders. And yeah, thankfully there was no evident injuries but i'm yeah. definitely sore yeah the shoulder was hurting yesterday and i woke up and my wing is a little better now so it was fun though it was a blast dude it was it was a blast and i know we'll, we'll dive into it in a big way but just quickly touching on like how grateful both of us are that there was so much love and support and like 
not only from the people doing it, but from the messages that we received. And like, I think what was really special is people resonated with your story. And like, that's why I want you to talk about it because I want to hear from your perspective, but that's why we did this. This was not about us just doing a workout. This was about sharing your story and helping people. And I think people really, you know, caught hold of that. 100%, 100%. And every time we went live, just seeing the support from everyone was, was super cool. All the people who bought the shirts and even, you know, we trained for this for what, two months? Yeah, a little over two months. A little over two months, just prepping and getting ready for it. Every time we posted, the amount of people who were like, can't wait to see this. Um, everyone was just so excited, uh, so excited for it. And I think it's gonna even, it's gonna grow and, and materialize into even more once, you know, Levi creates the video and puts that out there. And I, I genuinely think it's only the beginning and you know we had people doing it in Costa Rica, people doing it in California, um, and I mean, didn't promote it like crazy, um, and already got a pretty good response. So I think next year, and in the subsequent years after, it's going to be it's going to be a big thing. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what God's going to do. You know, it's crazy. Like we have a vision in our head in our minds of like what we think is possible, but then when God comes in and says, actually, this is what's possible, and yes. that's. I'm already blown away to see that the response. Like, I was gonna, I was like, bro, let's do this together. Let's document it. Let's yeah. put it out there. Let's see if we can help some people. But to see like the immediate traction, even on a relatively smaller scale, and what it could turn into is already just like it's humbling, bro. It's crazy. For sure, for sure. I want to talk about your story because I think that is what people one want to know about, and I think it really sets up you know the why behind project seven again we touched on it not just being a normal challenge like this is something with a heart behind it but before we dive into that let's let's share how we met because i think it's kind of cool to see just yeah. the inner workings of you know god's alignment and our friendship and the way we were able to connect and quickly just like have a ton of common i think it's pretty interesting totally so i would say what was it august 20th of 2021 I released a documentary uh, with a buddy of mine called the Victory Documentary. And in that documentary, it basically goes back to day one and I just shared my full testimony and kind of tied uh, running a marathon, just the ups and downs of a marathon, suffering, endurance into, into my journey. And uh, one of your close friends and they had a family connection with me, told you about it and it was, Pretty timely too, because you were getting ready to run your first marathon. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think we finished within one minute of each other in the marathon, which was super dope. But uh, yeah, you watched it, you, you reached out to me, or I reached out to you, I can't remember how it worked out, but anyways, you were in the area, we were stopping through, we grabbed Chipotle, and uh, I was like, I remember sitting there and I was like, bro, we align on literally everything. Faith, fitness, family, uh, business, and just like that desire to constantly push ourselves. Um, and I was just like, dude, I don't know when it's gonna happen, but you and I are gonna do something together. Mm -hmm. And uh, here we are a couple of years later doing it. You said that on the first time we met, which is crazy, now it's full circle, but I would, I wanna, I wanna respond to that, but I think one thing that I just thought of is like anyone listening that, you know, I've been very, very blessed to have some incredible friends, you being a very close friend that, we, you know, we've built this awesome relationship, but like if you're, the people in your life and your friends aren't living the way that you wanna live or like pursuing the things that you feel called to pursue, you need to really be careful. And I'm just so grateful for you because the second we met, 
I learned so much about your story that night. I learned so much about, you know, your intentions and what you're seeking. And I was like, dude, this is a guy I've got to figure out how to have in my life because he's going to make me better. He's going to he's going to point me to the cross. He's going to like push me to, you know, go past my limits. I was like, this is pretty dope. And again, I think God works in those situations. But it's the second I heard your story, bro, I was super drawn to your heart. And, you know, the reason we started AIM was to connect with people, to build a community, to, to help inspire people. And you were already doing that in your own sense. And um, it was some extra motivation before the, yeah. right, before the marathon, watching your, your documentary and just seeing the things that you went through, man, and, and your perseverance. And obviously this ties into Project 7 and what we just did. But um, it was really cool getting to, getting to meet you in that way. And then obviously now, you know, the things that we've been able to do and, and grow into has been really special. Absolutely. Absolutely. Likewise, I mean, it's it's so cool when you meet that kindred spirit who's who's just aligned in almost every category it it pushes you to go even further so appreciate you brother we're just getting started bro. i know that's, it's that's only the a, beginning when there's a good alignment man there's there's a lot that can be done but i want to i want to dive into your story i think we should just go ahead and just jump in you know you you touched on it with the victory documentary and, and kind of what you did but i'd love to hear like the raw just from the start, man, you know, the, the, the beginning of the challenges that you faced and, and kind of what that looked like for you um, and then kind of just share your story, man. For sure. So I guess, you know, growing up, Christian home, um, big into sports, had an older brother uh, and we, you know, we would always go at it, always compete. And uh, I think sports was like, kind of my outlet and the foundation of pretty much everything that I did. And, you know, faith was like, oh, you know, that's my parents' faith. But, you know, I, I always believed. But the first time it was really put to the test, if you will, was when I was 13. And that's when I was diagnosed with with uh, cancer. And it was just so shocking. Um, wasn't on my radar, but had a, had a tumor on the side of my leg. Uh, it's it just gradually grew and grew and grew uh, over time. And my mom, when she was in high school, had scar tissue on the back of her leg. And she got it, it was benign, got it removed, no big deal. We figured, you know, so active, maybe I got bumped and scar tissue formed. So we didn't think much of it, but the fact that it was growing was a little bit concerning. So went in, did the biopsy, and pretty much right away they were like, yeah, this is this is cancerous. That being said, the prognosis was very good. Um, they gave like, I mean, they didn't even give percentages. They're just like, yeah, you're gonna get through this. It's localized, it's in the muscle. Um, like the chemo is gonna do its job, we're gonna get through it. And we caught it early, which, which is huge. So went through eight months of chemo, got super sick, lost my hair. Uh, I mean, it, it wrecked my body. I did 15 rounds of chemo. I would go in for two days, go home for 10, give it, give myself a Neupogen shot, which would boost my white blood count, and then go back in for five days. And I would just alternate two days, five days, two days, five days with a 10 day break in between, just enough to like get somewhat healthy again, and then boom, right back into it. Um, but the, the chemo did its job tumor shrunk to nothing, which was incredible. Then they went in and got clear margins. Like the whole left side of my thigh is pretty much missing still to this day. Um, so they like really cleaned all that out. So 
once I finished all those treatments, uh, they did follow-up scans and they're like, cancer's totally gone, there's nothing detected. And they were like, we're gonna put you on a plan where every three months we're gonna bring you back in, CT, MRI, everything. So at the three month mark, everything's good. Six month mark, they, they called and they said, hey, do you feel a lump in the lymph node in your groin? And I just remember vividly being upstairs in the bedroom and my dad asked me and I like reached down and like touched the lymph node in my groin and like my heart dropped. And I just knew inwardly that's what it was, but tried to like block it out and be like, all right, you know, whatever, we'll, you know, we'll go in, we'll get the testing. So went in, did a needle biopsy, they didn't get enough. So had to go, go into surgery, get put under, and uh, yeah, the results came back. So that was, that was a pretty crazy day. Um, and yeah, I, I just remember I was upstairs doing, doing some homework and my dad came in and he said, can we talk to you? And that's, I was like, oh my gosh, it, it came back. Like that's, I, I, I knew like right away um, that it came back. We went downstairs and he just sat me down and I could see the tears in his eyes. And he just said, son, the cancer's returned. Um, they're saying you have a 7% chance to live past six months to a year. That's if you do the treatments. And it's incurable. There's nothing they can really do. The chemo and radiation is like, you know, we'll give it a stab, but the, the odds are very unlikely that you're gonna live past a year. And at this stage, I, I think the whole first round of, of chemo and going through everything, I had such an incredibly supportive community. Uh, my family, friends, and you know, people doing events and raising money for us and just like felt so loved by everyone. And um, I, I really think like I trusted the Lord. Like I was like, he's gonna get me through this. Genuinely believed it and almost felt betrayed because so many people were like, oh, God's got a plan for your life. And in my 13 year old brain, I think I just felt, okay, this is God's plan. If God has a plan, he gave me the cancer. Um, I trusted in him and now he's giving me the cancer again in order to teach me a lesson, which you know, since then I've come to find out it's just completely whack theology, but I just, at, at 13, 14, I, it's all I knew, it's all I could, it's all I could comprehend. Uh, that's what was happening. So reluctantly decided to do the treatments, did another eight months of chemo, 35 rounds of radiation, and then a vaccine trial at the National Institutes of Health. I think I was one of maybe five people in the world, part of this vaccine trial. Um, and yeah, it was, it was very intense, very aggressive treatments. First time was aggressive, this was even more aggressive. And I, I mean, I just remember like one night in, in particular, uh, I'd finished chemo, I was in the middle of radiation. I mean, my body was just destroyed. Like I, I was at the end and I just, I remember praying and I was like, Lord, if I wake up tomorrow, I'm gonna be pissed at you. Like that's how much agony and pain I was in. I was like, please, like, the, like I've given every ounce of fight that I have um, 
just take me. Like I'm, I'm so ready to be out of this suffering and this agony. I'm tired of just constantly being fatigued and throwing up and vomiting. I had, they did radiation on my chest because they thought they saw a spot on my lung. And it was during like Thanksgiving and Christmas. I couldn't eat for three, four or five weeks. I was just eating smoothies, drinking smoothies and soup because the mouth sores were so bad and my throat was like, like I, I just couldn't digest and swallow food. And yeah, I got to that point where I was like, Lord, just take me. So ended up getting through all of it and went up to NIH, uh, which is in Bethesda, Maryland. They, would, they took my tumor and reformulated it into a vaccine that would go in and kill those cancer cells. Like if it saw a cancer cell, it would attack it and kill it. Don't know how they did that, but pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and that was kind of like the last resort. But yeah, I, August 20th was the date of diagnosis. And, you know, here I am 14 years later kicking it. So I can keep going. I can keep going or let's, if let's, you want to, yeah, yeah, let's break a, that down. Cause that's, it's a big chunk. Well, you have so much more to your story, which is, I'm excited to keep walking them through this, but for this alone, I mean, that's, crazy what you had to go through and i think what i would love to hear more about is what was your initial reaction the very first time you found out you had cancer like what was going through your mind how were you processing this i know your family's incredible i'm sure they were super supportive and very positive but like what was going through your personal mind and how are you going going through that very first time um i remember every like when the doctor said it's cancer like when you hear that C word, that word yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, like, whoa, everything went black. I like, I don't, I don't even remember what he said the rest of the time we were in the office and we walked out, went to the car. My dad looked in the rear view, tears in his eyes again. And, uh, he just, he looked at me with so much confidence. He said, son, we're going to get through this. God's going to be with you. We're going to be with you. You're going to have an army supporting you. You're going to be okay. And that like genuinely set the tone for the next eight months. Like mm. I, there was not one moment where I thought I was going to die. Like for a second, the first time, like genuinely not one moment crossed my mind where I was like, you're like, I just have to, I have to get through this. Oh yeah. This it was is like, what I have to do, do it's it. part of it. We're just going to get through it. I'm going to make the most of it. In, in basketball was one of those things too. Like in between treatments, just playing basketball, uh, at all was like one of those things that really kept me going. Um, and yeah, just never once felt, you know, that, that feeling of, Oh gosh, like I'm going to die. Like, this is crazy. It was just utter confidence. And when the second time came around, yeah. that's obviously, you know, totally different story, different totally story. different story. Second time it was immediate rage. I, I picked up a trophy and like slung it as hard as I could, threw it at the wall, picked it up, threw it again, started screaming, crying. And I was laying there and just, yeah, in a, in a puddle. And uh, I just looked at my dad and I said, am I going to die? He said, son, I, I don't know. And that was like when it really set in of flip. I'm about to go through it. Mm. And knowing what I was getting ready to walk into um, and feeling like I was done. Like when I finished my treatment first, I was like, oh, I'm done. Like I'm home free. 
and then knowing okay the the vomiting the nausea the fatigue like all this is going to come back but at an even greater scale and i'm adding radiation so i was like i was not stoked to say the least and that really put a pretty big uh dent in my relationship with god absolutely how has that been restored like i know there's a lot more to your story that we can dive into but was there through that process and your your healing process from cancer was there restoration in your relationship with god or strength you know strengthening of your faith through that or did that come later as you matured and continue to kind of evolve yeah it definitely came later and there was a, a very radical specific moment that it shifted i think getting through all that uh, kind of placed a band-aid over some of the pain and I, I kind of blocked it out because I was like, okay, I'm healthy again. I can play basketball again. We're on better terms, but I'm not over this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not over this, but like, it's cool. Like I'm doing my own thing now. Like I, I'm, I'm good. I can, you know, I started gaining weight, playing basketball, was able to take my mind off of a lot of that. So yes and no to answer that question. In the midst of this second time going through it, like what, what truly kept you going? Like, what are the, some of the things that you would think about? Like, did you ever envision yourself like beating it and, you know, living a life cancer free and doing great things? Or like, what was that thing that was like keeping you going and like pushing you to, to battle? Like, why did you battle? Uh, this is like heavily addressed in the documentary. I am very competitive. Like, very, very, very competitive. And when someone counts me out or tells me I can't do something, that that's all I need. Like if someone says, oh yeah, like you're screwed, you know, <laughs> with whatever it is. Like I, literally you're wearing the I'll take my chances shirt. That has been my mindset since I was a kid. You know, when, when someone said you can't do it, everyone in the family looked at them like, ooh, you made a mistake. You shouldn't have said that because I was going to give every single ounce of who I was to doing whatever they told me I couldn't do. So I think that was like genuinely one of the biggest motivators was someone's telling me I can't survive and beat this. Okay. Like watch you'll, me. you'll see, watch me. And the second time, like I was, I was going to school. Like I had, they marked me up with like Sharpies for the radiation. Cause I would, I don't know if many people know about radiation, but like I would lay on this table and this machine would like articulate around me, but they had to like put me in a very precise position. And this is pretty intense, but they had to actually take my testicles and put it in this like cast iron clasp to prevent, um, I guess the goal of that was to like protect my sperm. And so, yeah, I would like literally lay on this table. It, it was horrible, just 14. I mean, it's humiliating, like being in that condition. And, um, but yeah, so I, like I had all these markings all over my body and I was out there like playing for the middle school basketball team. And yeah, it was just crazy. Uh, so I think it was a combination of someone's telling me I can't do this. And then basketball really drove me. I was like, I just want to play again. So during the treatments, so you were still able to play to some level, or like in games, or was the most? Dude, I was like, playing. I was playing in games. Yeah, like you're playing in games while you were having cancer treatments. Oh yeah, dude, getting chemo. Oh my and like, goodness, bro! Like literally, like <laughs> putting the fan on because you had to, like I'd get a fever, like bad fever, whatever, be sick. I'd have to go in the hospital, and they wouldn't let me out. 
until my fever was down for 24 hours. So I would sit there and like, I would get bags of ice and like put it on my forehead, put it under my armpits and like put the fan on me so that I would intentionally, like when they would measure my temperature, that my temperature would be down. <laughs> Just so I could like get out and make it to the game. That is and crazy. Yeah, dude, it was, it was nuts. Like basketball, like basketball is the foundation of, of everything. Uh, definitely an idol for sure. Yeah. It's funny. We, uh, we have very different stories, but we've, <laughs> we've used basketball similarly, yeah, um, in absolutely. terms of like helping us have an outlet to, to navigate some of the challenges we faced, um, with our, with our lives. And man, that's, that's crazy. I didn't realize it was that intertwined with the actual chemo. I thought it was a, a break you had to take to then come back to it once you were free from cancer. No, dude, there were, there were days where I'd like, I had to give blood a lot. So I'd go give blood. And then on the way home was the gym. Sometimes all I could muster up was like three or four trips down the court, get a couple shots up. And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's all I got. My mom would take me back home, but it was very intertwined. And, and what were your, what were your, I'm just curious, what were your coaches like thinking of all of this? Like how did they respond to, you know, you having this desire to, to compete and play while you're in the midst of this difficult season? Like how, how did that come into play? Yeah, they were, they were kind of like, I mean, they were a little shocked, obviously, um, but very supportive. And my parents said, like, let him play. Like, th this is this is like what's keeping him alive, essentially, right now. Wow. So let him play. Let him enjoy it. Like, if he's going to go down, he's going to go down swinging and, and having a good time. And, um, yeah, the, the, middle, the middle school I went to, like, retired my jersey. <laughs> so funny. In middle school? Yeah, in middle school. Wow. Just because, like, playing through that season – um rightfully with, so yeah with Canada, it was kind of funny i forgot about that that's epic but yeah so that's kind of what you went through in that season talk about the point where you find out you're cancer free you know that that's that door is closed and and what that was like and also kind of lead into this next kind of phase of your life that was obviously brought more additional challenges yeah so the last part of my treatments was up at nih uh, finish that. And then I guess it was the same sort of every three months. Uh, so every three months would go in, do blood panel, all the CT, MRI scan, every scan you could think of. And that would, that continued for the first like three to five years. Uh, it, it got less frequent, but yeah, I mean, everything was positive. Everything was positive. They're like, it's gone. Like it's, it's not there. Again, the chemo did its job. The radiation's done its job. Uh, and, yeah, so that's when I started playing basketball again. Um, ended up getting a full ride, which was, like, from the time I was 10, I told my dad, I was like, I want to play college basketball. He was like, okay, you know, you're going to have to do what it takes. So that was, that was huge. Um, and should we talk about the – you remember the dedication game? No, talk about it. I'd love to hear more about it. Maybe I have, but I'd love to. I'd love to share on the show. Yeah, this is, this is pretty big. So my junior year, our uh, my coach, who's still uh, just an incredible friend, amazing guy, one of my one of my mentors, and yeah, we 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 really have become friends. He actually just ran a marathon. He crushed it. Well, remind me of his name, Josh Thompson. Okay. Yeah, legend. Um, so he had this idea to do a dedication game. So each person chooses. It can be anyone, family member, friend, just someone that they know who's really inspired them. I had a kid who 
had a very similar type of cancer that I had who passed away in the hospital. Um, and I had someone mutually connect us and he would just, his name was Josh Rominger. He felt similar to how I felt, uh, as many kids do that, like no one can relate. You know, I'm, I'm a teenager going through cancer. Like I have no one to talk to. So I had just finished everything and he was just going through it. So he would call me, text me, and I would just, you know, give him advice, give him tips and pointers and just encourage him. Anyways, he ended up passing away and it, it wrecked me. Uh, Cause I'll, I guess it's like that survivor's guilt thing. Of, that easily could have been me. I just lost a friend. Like the, it, it, it was really brutal. So when the coach, when, when coach Thompson was like, hey, we're doing this dedication game, boom. I was like, no brainer, I'm, I'm choosing Josh. So we each signed this the basketball uh, with the name of the person we were dedicating the game to, kept it with us in the huddle, and it, we were playing one of our big-time rivals. And the goal of it was to play for something bigger than yourself, mm. which we, you and I have talked about at length. So cool, when bro. you play for someone or do anything outside of yourself, the motivation is significantly greater. Uh, so we all kind of rallied around that, and it was packed, dude. Packed gym. Uh, big energy, crosstown rival. So it's it's a high scoring game, back and forth. I end up hitting a three to send it to overtime, like right before regulation buzzer sounded. That's a good feeling. Oh, dude, it was it was nuts. <laughs> it was nuts, and we we ran this play. It was like an out of bounds play that we ran every day in practice. In my head, I'm thinking like we'll probably never use this. And dude, it's it's awesome. Such an amazing play. We ran it, worked to perfection, and. Uh, so we're in overtime, they get out six, eight points quick. We slowly start storming back. Uh, I hit a free throw to tie the game and they go down, guy gets fouled. So there's 2.2 seconds left. I go over to Coach Thompson, I'm like, you know, what do you want me to do? And guy hits the first free throw. So I'm like, I go over to Coach Thompson, I'm like, what do you want me to do? He's like, get the rebound, just get the best shot you can. So I tell our big man, I'm like, hey, get this rebound, kick it to me. I'm going to throw something up. Guy shoots it. I think he intentionally missed. Big man gets it exactly how I thought it would happen. He throws it to me on the left left wing from three-quarters court. I just throw up a heave, and it goes in at the buzzer. Oh, my gosh. That was probably one of the only out-of-body experiences I've had. Like, I genuinely felt like I was levitating. And I just started sprinting and the whole like the whole gym just mobbed me. And it was so cool because local news picked up on it. Um, CBS did a story on it. And it's hilarious. I'm in front of a camera right now. My biggest fear growing up was like public speaking, being in front of cameras. I hated it, like absolutely hated it. And so like every day before practice, like I'm getting interviewed and I'm just, dude, I'm miserable. Like I, I could not stand it. I told my dad, I was like, listen, unless ESPN calls, I'm done. Like I refuse to take another interview, not happening. That summer I get a Twitter DM from the producer of ESPN E60. He says, hey, we heard about your story. We want to come to a piece. And we want Tom Rinaldi to be the one to like, like come in and Crazy do the bro. interview. And I'm like, Okay, I got to be a man of my word. My dad, you know, I made a promise to him. <laughs> and I'm so glad I did it because it, it was sick. Like, Tom Rinaldi came in. I skipped school and hung out with Tom Rinaldi for the day. He was telling me, like, crazy stories about Tiger and Phil and, like, just 
it, it was really special. So that was that was like a big, big milestone moment. Um, and then that next year is when I uh, ended up going to Belmont Abbey. Dude, that is epic. Before we dive into that chapter, it's just it's so cool to see how God can use such a trying time, such mm-hmm. a, a difficult season. And this is where I think you know. With this podcast, we've been fortunate to have so many incredible guests that have had different versions of their very hard stories. Mm. But the common theme is people have been able to be um, impacted and, and benefit from the hardships of our life because now we can use them to help other people and inspire other people. And that's what you've done, bro. And so to see it come full circle and you start to get that recognition, like, dude, that's powerful, man. And now every day that you woke up with cancer, is a blessing because you're able to make someone else's life better with inspiration. For sure. And I think like, um, like Josh's story will live on forever. You know, that, that's how I've had to view it. Uh, cause losing someone is never fun, but we're all destined to die. Like it's just, it's, it's the reality of life. And so, uh, the fact that the Lord was able to use a horrible thing and we're able to communicate his story and, uh, yeah, just just super cool so that, that's epic so you're getting an opportunity to literally fulfill the dream that you had as a child to play college basketball get a scholarship talk to me a little bit about stepping on the campus at belmont abbey pursuing that dream and and some of the things that you kind of had to encounter in that season yeah no it was it was amazing uh right away went on a visit and loved the coach uh coach unger was super cool uh, big fan of his. He that summer he he recruited me really hard. Came to a bunch of games. Uh, went on a visit and just fell in love with the with the campus, with the culture, with with the coaching staff, uh, and and a lot of the guys who are currently there. And he you know he just showed like we really want you. And I I wanted like I probably could have maybe gone to a low low D one. I was always very realistic about how good I was and wasn't, <laughs> like what level I was I was at. And I attribute that to my dad. Like he never overhyped me. He's like, you know, this, this is the level you should be at. Um, and kept me very grounded. And so I kind of knew, I was like, okay, I could go D1 and sit the bench for like two to three years and just like get into the system, get stronger. Because I, I was always very skilled, but I was just small. I was very skinny, very thin. Had you weren't doing 700 pull-ups? No, I was not doing 700 pull-ups. I was, I'm probably like 15, 20 pounds heavier now, and I'm still light as a feather. But, yeah, like always highly skilled, could shoot, could dribble, could pass, had a good basketball IQ. But the one thing hindering me from getting to that next level was just the athleticism piece and the strength piece. So I was like, I want to go where I'm wanted. I want to pl- like, I want a chance to play right away and you know, Belmont Abbey gave me that opportunity to get minutes as a freshman. And um, yeah, so get on campus for uh, in the summer. We're playing in the summer league. Uh, you know, we had summer camps. All of a sudden, one day, um, I'm running running the hill, doing conditioning. I'm doing two-a-days. Like, I'm probably working out three, three and a half hours every single day between lifting and, like, skill work. One day, I'm running a hill, and I'm like, man, I feel something weird in my leg. So I'm like, okay, like I'll, I'm gonna just take a couple days off. Like I, I felt like I really tweaked it, and slowly starts swelling, like my whole leg, whole left leg. Week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks go by. Swelling hasn't gone down. You're still training. You're still, you know. Yeah, as much life. as I can, and uh, 
it got to the point where I was like, okay, this is like kind of concerning. So I go in, get some MRIs, and pretty much right away, they, you know, they ask, like, what's your medical history? And I'm like, you know, how much time do you have? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I give the breakdown, and they're like, okay, yeah, you have lymphedema. I'm like, what? What, what are you talking about? What is lymphedema? And so because the, the cancer got into my lymph nodes, and they had to remove I pretty much my whole left groin area, all the lymph nodes were just cancerous. So they had to remove all the lymph nodes. For whatever reason, I don't know if it was the training intensity or what, but it was just one of the complications that came with with all the treatments that I did. Um, there was no way for the the fluid, the lymphatic fluid to drain out of that left leg. Don't know what triggered it, but all of a sudden it just flared up. And again, they said, you're gonna have this the rest of your life. It's incurable. You should not and they said cannot like you cannot play college basketball and should not again you're talking to the wrong person there i'm like dude you you just don't understand like yeah. i've been working for for this for like nine ten years i like i've played through chemo and radiation like you're insane if you think i'm not playing this year so dude i go through preseason conditioning on one leg essentially and my leg blew up like it was not one and a half times the size. I, I showed you the photos earlier. Crazy. I, are those public? Like, are those on Instagram or no? No, I mean, I, I, I'm free to share them, but like, yeah. I, mean, I don't I think they're, yeah, I don't see, think they're on there. Um, it's crazy. Yeah, like, it's like The condition huge, you were in. Huge. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going through preseason conditioning and I'm just a shell of myself. My, my lateral speed was not there. My shot sure. took a, a damper because I was favoring my right leg so much. My, like I actually have muscular dystrophy all down my left side because I favored the right leg so much during that season. And uh, yeah, dude, I, I played through it. And I think I look back, I, I averaged like a pretty good amount of time. I think I was playing 16, 18 minutes a game. It's a lot. As yeah. For which I, I was like beyond pleased with. I felt it was very generous. And, uh, but yeah, dude, it, it was very painful. Like very, very painful. And it got to the point where we were like, we were going to opposing gyms, fans, students started hurling insults at me. Like, yo, number two, what the bleep is wrong with your leg? And it just, dude, it rocked me to the core. And the, the, with the pain and just the humiliation and like, I would not wear shorts because I just didn't want anyone to comment on it. Like that, it was noticeable. Very noticeable. Very noticeable. Yeah. And, didn't wear shorts for like years because I didn't want anyone to see it or comment on it. Just killed my like, my vibe, dude. I, like I lost so much confidence just in life and felt so beat down. And uh, yeah, the final straw, it was probably a little over, around halfway through the season. It was, of course, it was, it was coaches versus cancer night. No way. Yeah, dude. At the at the opposed, I can't remember. I think it was Erskine or Emmanuel uh, down in Georgia, and they're at the free throw line on the other end. And I got back on defense, and I'm just standing there. And one of the opposing students is like, "Yo, number two, your left leg's so bleeping big. Like, it just like went crazy." And I just turned around. I was like, looked at the guy and just shook my head. I was like, "Man," and my, my I like after the game get on the bus and my coach called me to the front and he's like did you hear what they said and I was like yeah 
I heard. He's like, I'm so sorry. Because it was, I mean, it's coaches versus cancer night. They're all wearing the white tennis shoes, the raise awareness. Sure. And dude, it just crushed me. And at that point, I was like, okay, I really need to think about why I'm doing this. So I went back into the doctor just for a checkup. And they said, hey, you've already started to form like a pitting edema. Like I could push my leg in and it would just leave an indentation. I don't know if you've seen Goggins videos. Have you seen that where he like pushes his leg in? I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah it's dude. crazy. It's wild. Like I could like take my hand and squeeze it oh. on my leg and like the indentation of my fingers would just stay there for like a minute. That is crazy, bro. So they're like, you've already started to form scar tissue in here. If you keep going this direction, you're going to create long-term damage. And I finally was like, okay, I... It's not worth it. Yeah. Like my long-term health is at stake. And that's when I made the choice. I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to stop playing. This is where things like really took a turn for the worst. I fell into a deep pit of depression, like rock bottom. And the biggest way I could describe it is it was like I was at the beach digging a hole and just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper and then I was like, oh, wow, like I've gotten pretty far down. And I was like, how do I get out? And as I'm trying to get out, like the more I tried to get out, the more the sand just kept caving in and the hole got deeper and deeper and deeper. And the light got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. The more I just like fell into this pit. And yeah, dude, like complete and total rock bottom where I was questioning life itself. I wasn't suicidal in the sense of like, okay, here's how I'm going to do it. But definitely the thoughts of it would be better if I were dead. Reason being, I built my life on basketball. Like mm -hmm. it was my idol. It was the foundation. Like I said earlier, like, yeah, I had, I confessed like, oh, I believe in God, which is so like, <laughs> even the demons believe in shudder. Says that in James. So like confessing a belief doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day. And, uh, like the foundation was basketball. And when that crumbled, everything built on top of that crumbled with it. Of course. It. And yeah, I got to this place where I was like questioning God, questioning my own life. It would be significantly better if I were dead. And the hatred and anger towards God, because I was like, man, first I get cancer, then I get cancer again. And still I had this mindset that he was causing it. Why does this keep happening? To Why me? does this keep happening to me? Just this downward spiral. And I'm like, screw you, dude. Like you took away the one thing I love, the one thing that got me through all this. And uh, yeah, kind of hit that, that low, low, low point. And so I had to make a choice. I was like, I'm definitely not staying here because the reason I came was to play basketball. So I was like, okay, do I go to college for college? Um, or I heard about this like missionary discipleship training school out in out in Hawaii and I'd have I'd, I've had several family members and friends do it and my cousin had just recently done it and he came back like a radically different person like I saw something in his eyes I was like dude you are different didn't know what it was but knew I wanted it mm. and so I was like okay everyone in my family knows a different God than the God I know the God I know causes pain causes suffering wow. causes anguish in order to teach his children lessons. That does not sound like a good father to me. But the but everyone else in my family, like 
they clearly like love the Lord. And I was like, okay, here's the deal. Like, here's what's up, God. If you're even real, (laughs) here's the deal. If I go out there and you don't encounter me, screw you. You don't exist. Like I'm done. And I'm talking to thin air right now. But if you do exist, and if you do encounter me in a real intangible way that's undeniable, I will give you every second for the rest of my life. Period. No questions asked. And so, yeah, I mean, I know it says don't put the Lord to the test, but I absolutely put him to the (laughs) test. I was like, dude, I've got nothing left. I got nothing to lose. Like, I am like, you're going to encounter me or you're not straight up. So I end up going out there and they had a worship night, like right when we get there and dude, the place is rocking. Like people are crying, people are hands in the air, people are dancing, people are weeping. I'm like, like, this is a, like these people love God. Like, whoa, this is kind of crazy. And uh, I just remember like before I went, my mom gave me this verse, Ezekiel 36, 26, which says, I'll remove from you a heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put a new spirit in you. Wow. And I'm like, okay, mom, cool, whatever. Like, <laughs> I was just so hardened and calloused to, like someone gave me a Bible verse and I'm just like, stop. Like, I don't want to hear that. Um, like, that's how hardened I'd become from all the pain over the years. Anyways, we're at this worship night. My cousin comes over, lays his hands on me, starts praying. I can't remember what he even said, but as he's praying, I have an open vision. Like, vivid open vision it was like the best way i could describe it it was like a projector screen came over my physical eyes and i started seeing a movie playing and on this screen was this hand holding my heart Mm. completely covered in stone and then the other hand had a chisel in it and it just started chiseling away at the heart and the stone started falling off and beneath it was this beautiful bright red beating heart and blood is dripping off it on the hand. And I knew it was the father. Wow. And, uh, July 7th of 2016. And, you know, looking back and after like reading the word, I know what that moment was. It says that God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy spirit. I believe I was born again in that moment. Mm. All the pain, the anger, the disappointment, the rage, the frustration, the bitterness melted away in an instant. Granted, like, yeah, over time, there were things I had to continually work through. But, man, it was it was a radical, like, supernatural transformation. And, like, I was a new creation. Like, genuinely, it was the first time I, I was like, okay. And, and at the school... Over those next three months, I I read the New Testament like three or four times all the way through. Just saturated myself in the Word, saturated myself in truth. My mind started getting renewed. My thoughts started getting clearer. I started seeing, okay, you know, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The core issue in my life and I believe in the lives of billions is the question, is God good? That's, that's the question. It, the goodness of God, is he good? And despite the evil in the world, I mean, I hear people ask, how can God be good if there's so much evil in the world? Of course. You know, that's the root question. 
and I got to this place where I, I and I feel this right now. If I cannot confidently say, if my whole family died right now, if every fi- every dollar in my bank account was stripped, if every possession was taken away from me, if all my friends died, and it's like every everyone and everything that I love is gone, do I still believe God's good? Mm. Like that's the ultimate question. And I think over that, over those three months, I, I finally, for the first time in my life, was able to answer, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely he is. Um, and, I, and I realized, like, like we talked about earlier, he didn't orchestrate and cause the pain. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I heard this quote, God allows in his wisdom what he could prevent in his power. Like he knew I was going to get cancer. He knew that was going to happen. He didn't give it to me. He can't give what he doesn't have. God doesn't have sickness. He's the healer of all sickness. By his stripes, we are healed. We were healed, rather. He can't give you something that he does not himself possess. And so, yeah, just... I mean, I go on, I, I, get, I get fired up just talking about this, but yeah. yeah, that was the season where everything really started to change and went on an outreach to Nepal and dude, just encountering the Holy Spirit in a brand new way and, and seeing him, you know, work through our team and uh, seeing the church in Nepal. Oh my gosh, dude. Like... <laughs> I see the church here and I'm like, what are we doing? Like it totally different perspective. Oh my goodness, dude. There, 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 it's everything. Jesus is everything. I mean, there is, there are no reservations whatsoever. And I think about here, it's, it's just the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth. And it comes in and chokes the word out. And over there, it's just this unhindered, uh, affection toward Jesus. Um, and it's, it's their everything, it's their life. And I think the, the comfort that we have here, the, the comfort in America is, is a pretty big hindrance to a lot of people uh, in following Jesus wholeheartedly. I, I, really, I really feel that. Mm. That's powerful. That's powerful. a lot, that's a lot, I know. No, it's so. powerful. I just, I, I love how you, your vulnerability and sharing like, you know, some of the things that you were once consumed by basketball and things that you put your identity on, identity and be stripped away from you. And in the moment thinking that was like, you know, an awful thing that your life had no more meaning and that you were, you know, maybe lost or confused or, you know, even had thoughts of just not wanting to be here. And then you see how God comes in and really changes your heart positioning. And like, now it's like, okay, I'm living for a completely different reason. I have so much more purpose now and no matter what happens to me from here on out, no matter if it's cancer, if it's my leg falls off, if it's whatever, like I can still have joy in the Lord knowing that he goes before me and he has a good plan. Absolutely. That's powerful, bro. Yeah. And there's so many people listening to this that I hope can take something from that, knowing that it might not have the same story as you, but there's probably something in their life that they're holding on to. And maybe right now it's okay because it hasn't crumbled, but one day it will. Everything in this earth is temporary. Yeah. Every single thing. And if, you're, if your foundation is not built on Christ, and again, I didn't necessarily mean for this to, I, I love that it's going this way. I'm completely yeah. fine. But like, if it's not built on Jesus, like it, there's going to come a time for disappointment. For and, sure. Uh, 
and it's yeah, I'm just thankful that you've you've seen the other side, and now you're able to share your testimony and share the evidence of God. This is not if God is real. This is God is real because this happened in my life, and this is His hand. And and, and all this all this being said doesn't mean it's going to be easy, which we'll get into. For sure, like it, it's not doesn't make everything better. Doesn't make everything easier. It actually is a guarantee. Like it is a biblical guarantee that we will suffer and we will have tribulations as believers. It's guaranteed. 100%. It's promised. 100%. Um, so, yeah. Wow. So <laughs> we, we move from that season. You, you step away from the game of basketball. You choose to go a different direction from college. And now you're, you're pursuing this discipleship program, YWAM. You're finding these experiences. You're traveling around the world and you're, and you're doing this work. You know, I think there's there's a lot we could we could obviously draw this really out and talk about a lot of parts of your story. But there's one more piece of it I really want to I want you to share, and that is the miracle God yeah, yeah. God did in your life. Again, I don't want to say anything else because I want you to share the story. But this obviously happened after you know heart change, and you're obviously still trying to um, you know continue to build into your life and what God's calling you to. But talk about this kind of last piece of this really incredible story. So, I think Israel. Like, can I share a little bit about absolutely. the Israel piece? So, absolutely. Basically. The condensed version is end up staffing that school, coming back to America. I I sold commercial office furniture for four years. Uh, got married. We we're my wife and I. She's an absolute angel. She's incredible. She is. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on her <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um. Anyway, so we're living in Raleigh at the time, and. So from beginning of 2021, we just started having people randomly walk up to us, church, grocery store, coffee shop, like dude, it was, it was getting weird, who kept saying the exact same phrase. I don't know you guys or the people that did, I just see change and transition coming into your lives. And it got to the point where we're like, we need to like do something about this. Like we need to really pray and fast and seek the Lord uh, and see kind of where he's guiding and directing. Uh, for this next season. So we did that. And over the course of the week, we didn't talk, like we obviously talked, but not about that the whole week. And just we're really intentional about praying and um, got to the end of the week and we're sitting on the back porch. And yeah, I was so nervous because I felt the Lord speak very clearly to me about what, what season was next. And I, I asked her, I said, what did you hear? And she said, this is unexpected. I think it's different than what you're going to say, but I feel like God is telling us to sell everything, sell our house, sell our cars, sell all of our possessions, and move to Israel at the beginning of next year. And I looked at her. I said, babe, the Lord said the exact same thing. No way. Like, like the exact same thing. And we hadn't talked about it all week. Israel wasn't mentioned once. And... It was just like, oh my gosh, like I, that was crazy. Uh, just how clearly and concisely it was that the Lord spoke the exact same thing to both of us separately. So I was like, okay, what do you want to do? She's like, let's call our parents. So, I mean, she was just like sold out on board. And part of the reason why I absolutely love her. I mean, she'll just, she, she'll just follow the Lord no matter what. And uh, anyways, next day, woke up and was reading the word and it just happened to be reading in Genesis 12 where God tells Abraham, go forth from your father's house 
which I was literally working for my dad, <laughs> go forth from your father's house um, and go to the place I will show you. Or go forth from your father's house, your native land, and go to the place I will show you, uh, which that place is now like the promised land, Israel. And just I, like when that happened, I was like, oh my gosh, this is utter confirmation. So it was during COVID, there were a lot of restrictions getting into the land. Uh, so we couldn't go at the beginning of the year, but March, we end up getting into Israel. So here's where the miracle takes place. This is crazy. So I was told because of all the chemo and radiation that it was impossible for me to have kids. I went in, did multiple sperm sample tests, had a surgery where they went to the source and tried to extract uh, for IVF. I didn't want to do it, but I felt like before we got, this was years ago, before we even got married, I was like, it's only fair to tell my wife my situation and for her to know. Cause she wanted like, I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? This is like on our first date. She said, I want to be a mother. So wow. <laughs> yeah, it meant a lot to me. And I like, yeah. So anyways, I go in and do all these tests and I'm like, Lord, I just don't want to do this. And he said, you need to do it. I was like, okay, I'll be obedient. Everything comes back negative every single time. And like, I have the report. It says zero sperm found in all caps. It says we looked at like under a microscope for 30 minutes and they couldn't find anything. And it like, and these are different doctors. Like you had so many, yeah, like, yeah, like, it's like, not one just like, dude, we went to Baptist health. Like yeah. it wasn't just one test. Technically it was three, three tests, three separate tests. Um, yeah. Like they even took a testicular tissue sample. Like, I mean like four tests then. So it was like four separate tests. All four of them came back entirely negative. And dude, I am crushed. End up getting a bill for $4,000 more than what they told me. Now I'm upset. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, now money's involved too. Yeah. And I didn't want to do this in the first place. So, however, I'm in a much better place with the Lord. And I'm I, mentally, I'm like, okay, like I know God has He's something up his sleeves. He, he's working. So I, I hear God's voice most through journaling. And I went to a coffee shop, I throw my AirPods in, I know the exact seat I was in. Jubala coffee shop across from the bell tower at NC State, I'm sitting there, I'm journaling, I pour all of it out. I'm just, I, I pour out my every emotion about how I'm so bummed for myself, for my spouse, for my, my parents, like for her parents, like I'm wanting them to be grandparents and my great grandparents, like all these emotions. And then financially, like, this is a lot of money when I wasn't really planning for this and get it all out. And I'm like, Lord, like, what do you have to say? And he, he first obviously said, thank you for sharing all that. Like, thank you. I hear you. I understand. I am the great high priest. I can sympathize with you. And then he said, uh, the reason I had you go through all those tests, the reason I had you do all the scans, everything, is because I wanted there to be scientific, medically backed proof that it's physically impossible for you to have children so that when you do, no one can deny us by my hand alone. And bro, I, I, I can say this with full confidence. After I wrote that down, I did not have a shred of doubt. Like it was so undeniable, him speaking, like I genuinely didn't doubt. Like I knew it was him. I knew it was not my own thoughts. And I was like, it is happening. And 
fast forward, we're now in Israel. Through three and a half, four years has passed since that. Uh, three years of marriage, which is the only time that would have been capable of happening. And uh, yeah, like for the three years, I'll just say we were not not trying uh, the entire time. So anyways, we're, we're in Israel, touchdown in the land. And it's a uh, that month that we got there was pretty crazy. Ramadan's going on, uh, Passover's going on, uh, Easter. It's it's a very big month, very heavy spiritual atmosphere. And we just had like so many different events we were going to, people we were meeting, and um, should I give like some of the breakdowns of what happened before we found out? Absolutely. So we had a big Passover meal, uh, and Lou Ingalls there, his wife, some of our close friends who we were living with, Nava and Emmanuel, and the Passover meal lasted like five or six hours. And at one random point throughout the meal, Nava, our close friend, who like out of all the people uh, was probably for Elizabeth because Elizabeth struggled with it a little bit more because she was like, you know, God spoke this to you. He didn't speak it to me. She's like, I believe that you heard God, but like I didn't hear that for myself. So Nava was just a prayer warrior and really helped Elizabeth kind of process like month after month taking pregnancy tests, not getting pregnant, and just the the pain that she was going through. So randomly in the meal, she, she raises her hand and interrupts the thing and says, hey, we need to pray and intercede for my friends here to get pregnant. They were told they had a 0% chance to get pregnant. This is the month it's happening. And Lou said, well, my wife Therese has pretty good experience or a pretty good track record of praying for people to get pregnant and it happening. So Therese came over, laid hands on us, started praying. There's like 40 people here, dude. The couple in front of us, like right after they're like, Hey, we're going through the same thing. Like, will you pray for us? Um, and it was, it was just so powerful. Then we ended up going up to the Galilee, uh, play, there's a place called Magdala. And it's in the location where the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, uh, that whole story took place in that region. And there, there was this church and underneath it, they'd rebuilt the original road uh, in that area. And it was just, it was so cool. And we go down there and there's this massive mural, like probably the size of that wall, like a good 20 foot mural of that story and it's like the artist depiction is i showed it to you yesterday yeah sure. from like knees down and it's just this hand reaching out touching the hem of jesus's garment um and so just a brief background on the story this lady bleeding for 12 years she hears about jesus there's this massive crowd following jesus she reaches out touches the hem of his garment because like she thought to herself, if only I touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Crazy amount of faith. And it just always resonated with me because it was the first time someone touched Jesus and got healed, not the other way around. She touches the hem, instantly healed, bleeding stops. And Jesus says, oh my gosh, who touched me? Power has gone out from me. Just wild. He's in the middle of a crowd. Like how sick is that? And uh, anyway, so that story resonated with me. I see this mural and dude, I feel the Holy Spirit's presence like all around me. And I'm like, guys, like, 
can I just get some time here alone? Like, I just need to pray. Like, I feel something on this. So I pray, and I'm like, Lord, in faith, I am going to reach out and touch the hem of your garment. And I, I fully believe, like, you are going to supernaturally create sperm in my body. And uh, so that happened. And then, like, the day before, <laughs> I forgot to tell you this. This is this is wild, but I'm, I'm, I've kind of shared it all. I'm very vulnerable. I'm an open book. How <laughs> says my, my ball sack literally started leaking fluid one day, like literally started leaking fluid. And I'm like, what is happening? And Emmanuel is like, dude, like I, like a miracle is literally taking place in your body. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So took care of business and did my part next day dude we we are uh at some friends houses and we uh i, I was i hadn't weighed in a while i go up i weigh on the, i'm getting ready to weigh on the scale through the window there's a rainbow shooting on the stairs and the lord is like i am faithful like immediately speaks it into my spirit and i'm like oh my gosh like i know this is about kids then I go to step on the scale. The brand of the scale is called Life. That is insane. And I'm like, this is unreal. Step on the scale. Go back downstairs. We're sitting there talking. And we look over and there's this side table. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like etched into the side table were like hundreds of little positive signs. And I was like, positive pregnancy. Like, dude, it was just oh my gosh. one thing after the next. I'm like, this is absolutely bonkers. So I mean, I was like, dude, let's, let's leave. Like, let's go to the store and buy pregnancy tests like right now. So we, we dip, we go buy pregnancy tests and Elizabeth was so hesitant to take them because she didn't want to get hurt. For sure. Having another negative test. So anyways, a few days pass. I told her, I said, Hey, the tests are here. Like if you want it, great. If not like, okay. So I had gotten pretty sick and I'm in bed laying there. All of a sudden, I hear screaming in the other room, and it wakes me up. And I'm like, what is going on? Elizabeth walks in the room, like, weeping, holding up a pregnancy test that's positive. Oh, my gosh. And the whole house just breaks out and, like, erupts in joy. And, dude, I'm not kidding. My sickness, like, vanished. Like, it, like vanished, dude. I was so hyped and just immediately we started calling everyone and the announcement was on mother's day <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's just like there were so many things oh my gosh i forgot to tell this part that week levi who uh filmed project seven filmed the documentary he uh texted me and said hey i had a dream that you were holding your son you walked into the room and you said levi meet levi which was nuts. And then the night before Elizabeth had a dream that she had gotten pregnant and she'd had dream after dream after dream of negative pregnancy tests. But that night she had a dream, positive test, wakes up, takes the test and it's positive. So yeah, now we have Levi Warrior Wilson, absolute savage, nine months old. In the gym with us at Project 7 just crawling around trying to do whatever he can. Like it's, dude, I'm, I, it's, 
I don't have much words because it's just like, man, just seeing like God's direct hand in your life and all the things that he's brought you through and been faithful and to, to do that. And obviously that your story is going to continue to unfold and I can't wait to see what he continues to do through you. But like that alone is like, God is so good. Yeah. Like that's, that is crazy, bro. I share it. And it, it doesn't even sound real. It sounds like 10 lifetimes wrapped into one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty special to just be on this journey with the Lord and, and let Him lead. And there are times that are very tough and very challenging and the faith is tested and tested some more and tested some more. And, you know, uh, one of my favorite quotes ever is, Faith can only become an intimate possession through conflict and testing. Mm. Faith can only become an intimate possession through conflict and testing. Um, and, you, you know, you look at the word and um, just see over and over and over again where, where that takes place. And how, like in James, one of my favorite verses, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Mm. The last thing I'll share, that word testing in the Greek, like back in the day, a silversmith would actually test precious metals. Um, and what that meant is they would put like silver, whatever it was into a pot of like boiling hot pot or a cauldron. And they would heat the pot up and all the dross and impurities would rise to the surface. And they would scrape off this top layer and they would heat it up again. And they would do this over and over and over again, this refinement process until the silversmith could look into the pot and see his own reflection. That's when he knew it had been fully made pure. Mm. And when I think about my life, I want the silversmith with a capital S to be able to look into the pot that is my life and see his own reflection. Dang, dude. Come on. That's so good. Wow. I love that, man. I think there's a, a lot of people that probably tuned in this episode that wanted to hear more about your story that wanted to learn more about the things you've been through and also understand Project 7 in a bigger way. I'd love for you to share the inception of Project 7, kind of the idea, the heart behind it. And, you know, we can talk about training. We can talk about the actual event. You know, if people are interested, I'm sure people want to hear about it. But like, yeah. I think they you got this is a, this is a long this is a long one. <laughs> this is I mean if you're good. I'm oh good. dude, I'm cruising. I just I don't I don't know the protocol. Are no, we good we're, to keep rolling? We're, we're good, bro. Okay, we're good. Okay. I think this is this is awesome. Um, talk about the heart behind Project Seven, where it came from, and how it even came about. Yeah. So uh, August twentieth diagnosis date. Every year for the past fourteen years, I. I just, I go back and, and remember everything I've been through. Um, and I'll, you know, I typically look at old photos and just recall, you know, the, those challenging, difficult days. And this year, for some reason, I, I was zooming in on a picture and I just stared at the eyes of that 13 year old kid. And dude, I started crying because I was like, this guy went through a lot. Like he really suffered and it just got me thinking. I was like, man, like I want to remember that. I want to honor that. And cause suffering dude, it just takes you outside of yourself. And it, it 
you've been talking about this a lot. It helps you appreciate life and, yes, and the, the pr- the, just the preciousness. I don't even know if that's a word, but the preciousness of life itself. And so I was like, okay, what can I do to kind of remember that? Um, and as I was processing it and looking at those picks, another thing too, the I'll take my chances portion of it, this thought came across my mind when I was staring at that photo. Just like, how would I respond right now with a wife, with a nine-month-old son who I love, um, just where I'm at, how would I process, at 27, you know, how would I process if a doctor said, hey, your scans just revealed that you have cancer again and you've been given a 7% chance to live. Dude, never had this thought in my life, but the phrase, I'll take my chances, popped into my head right away. And got me so fired up. Mm. Um, And I think that attitude, that mindset has just been cultivated over 14 years, really my whole life of, you know, the competitive side of things and then going through the the chemo stuff and then in college and just uh, wanting to continue with health and fitness and also like seeing the other side of God's faithfulness. Like the reason I'll take my chances is a, like from a human perspective, I'm going to bet on myself that I'm going to give everything I got. And then from the spiritual perspective is, I know God's got my back. Like, I don't, I really don't care about dying, dude. I, I just don't. Like, I know at the end of the day, God's going to be faithful. Whether I die tomorrow, today, <laughs> or, you know, 50, 60 years down the line, I know he's faithful. Like, I know he's faithful. And I know what I'm saying right now will get tested. But I, I know he's faithful. And, and so that's where the I'll take my chances comes from. And I was trying to think of a workout. I actually texted you. You know, we we're kind of brainstorming, like, you know, what the heck are, are we going to do? Sure. And the number seven just kept popping into my mind. I think you were like, dude, you got to stick to the seven. And yeah. Emmanuel, too, which Emmanuel ran the marathon with me. He's like, he's big on, on the number seven. And uh, so I was like, okay, what's, what's something cool we could do with seven? So that's where the the ruck 20 pound ruck seven mile run 700 pull-ups 700 push-ups 700 air squats that's kind of where it came from that's the inception of it dude so cool man when we first started when you kind of brought it up and we started talking about it, i was like man like again i i love personally i love health and fitness i love training i love working out but when you kind of brought this idea up to me i was like bro we could really share your story through this. Like this isn't, this is gonna be a yes, of course, some sort of physical feat, but it's like so much deeper than that. And that's what, that's what really encouraged, like inspired me. And I was like, man, I would love to be a small part of doing this with you and, um, you know, getting a chance to help share your story and see who we can get involved. And um, we've had some incredible people support this. And obviously, like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, just uh, it's, 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 mind-blowing it's humbling yeah. just to see how many people would just resonate with your story and your your desire to fight and your desire to take your chances and um man i've just really been blessed to be a, a small part of it, you know this with you and i'm excited to see like we said what god's going to do with it moving forward yeah i mean I, I everyone has suffered i think it's a it's a it's a commonality of humanity everyone suffers in some capacity yeah there's levels to it yeah some's physical emotional spiritual but everyone has suffered or will suffer. And that's why the story is relatable. And, you know, people can see it from like, 
my parents' perspective, from my siblings' perspective, from my perspective, there's so many angles at which you can see the suffering in it. Um, from my wife's perspective with little man, like there's just tons of angles. And so, yeah, I think that's why it's, it's powerful because it, everyone can kind of relate and put themselves in one of the person's shoes in the story. And I was talking, telling you this, but I, you know, personally, I, I enjoy seeking out these type of events because I feel most connected and closest to God in the midst of pure suffering. And again, I don't, I don't ever come across as saying like, guys, you should go do something that like hurts yourself. Like, yeah. obviously, we're not sadistic. Yeah, yeah, like, no, not, not, a, not at all. Not but I, about, I but. do believe in some intentional struggle and resistance, and I think that you can do it in a way that's that's not harmful long term to your body, but yeah. like puts you in a state where there's a dep- like. I always just find myself like desiring, like needing God's strength above my own, and there's a, mm. there's a special place you can get to where I'm just. I felt so close to God in the midst of doing hard things. And I think suffering can be such a privilege. Everything in life is about perspective. And it's like, yes, you're going to go through things. Like you said, your faith will continue to be tested. Everyone's will. And it's like, how are you going to look at that? Are you going to look at that as a bad thing? As like, mm. oh, poor me. Like, look, this happened to me. Or like, man, this is an opportunity to draw closer to God and to know that he is my provider. And he says in scripture that no matter what happens, he's going to provide for me. And he's going to take mm. care of me. And he loves me. And he loved me so much he sent his son to die for me. And that's a fact that will never be changed. And no matter what happens on earth, no matter what we go through, no matter how much suffering we deal with, we have that truth to live our lives on. You got me fired up, bro. <laughs> I know. You Come want to do on now. Seven again? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I'm a little sore today, but I'll do it one more time. For oh, me. <laughs> my. Oh, yeah. I am. But the quads are killing. No, dude. That's true. That's so fire. I, I remember when we were driving. Uh, I think driving to the challenge and you were talking about that and it just it's it's so true and I love your heart in it and you know for you I asked you I was like you know what are your what are you thinking about when you're in the midst of like deep intense suffering and your first thought was like Jesus yeah um love that bro absolutely love it and I think there's there's two there's a level of gratitude that comes with all of this. Like, mm-hmm. That was the first thing I said afterwards when we finished. I was like, one, I'm grateful for you because I, like, without you, know, you being in my life, we probably wouldn't be doing this. But two, it's like, I'm grateful to suffer. They're, they're, like, I don't think people understand. You were so close to changing your whole mindset by one simple shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, it, it's not, it's like a, it's a thin line. And you get yourself on the right side of that line. You can literally, with, with, with God in your life, like you can do literally anything. And I, I just think it's so powerful when you can say the hardest season, the hardest things, the hardest struggles can be such a blessing. I can, be, I can still have so much gratitude in the midst of absolute suffering because I'm still here breathing and I'm still doing this. And I'm growing and I'm getting stronger and I'm, I'm building endurance and perseverance like you said from James. Like these are things that are, these are actions that are happening. And it's, it's and it's applicable in the reason you put yourself in those uncomfortable situations and in, in, in suffering, you know, for us, it's the physical challenge outlet. It applies to so many other things. You will see that you'll suffer better in your job. You'll suffer better in your relationships with people. Like it's not just for the sake of doing something hard and saying, oh, I'm a savage. It's like I feel like there's real practical applications in you start to learn your own mind. How do I, like, what am I processing while I'm going through the suck, you know? And 
you get better, you, you suffer well. You start to learn how to suffer significantly better uh, by being in the situation more, you know, naturally. 100%, man. So I think people listening probably want to know a little bit about the actual challenge as we kind of land this plane, wrap this up. This episode has been incredible. But what were you thinking? You, you shared what the actual challenge was, but like talk about, like take us a little bit through the challenge itself, maybe pers- from your perspective, I'm happy to chime in, but like <clears throat> how it actually went, you know, what was hard for you? What was easy? Like where did you find a lot of success? How did your training, imp- you know, impact yeah. the actual event? Yeah, I want it, like with the challenge, some I didn't mention, like I wanted it to teeter that line of like, can we do this? Yeah. Like, can we actually like do it? You want a little bit of question? A little bit of doubt, a li- just enough doubt, maybe 7% doubt. <laughs> and uh, just enough to where I was like, man, this is gonna be really tough. But yeah, like the, I mean, we had two, a little over two months to train and prep. And I think for me, the most daunting, like early on was like, dude, 700 pull-ups. For sure. Like I've just never done volume like that. I've done heavy volume push-ups. When I was in Nepal, I did 500 a day for like 30 days straight, which was pretty crazy. And obviously not weighted, but I was like, okay, I can handle that. The squats, I can just will those out. Like it might have some lactic acid. The run, like you can slow down and like get make it. it happen and get yeah. through it. But the pull-ups, like you can just straight up hit muscular fatigue. For sure. And then when you stack them all together, like how are we going to respond? How's our body going to respond when you do the run? Then the pull-ups, then the push-ups in uh, squats with that volume. So going into it though, I felt so prepared uh, on pretty much all the fronts because of the you know the training we did um, and prep work. What shocked me. I think I suffered a little more on the run than I anticipated. <laughs> I, I only did four ruck runs leading up with the vest. That was a bit of a mistake, but you, you, you helped me change my perspective. You're like, but that's cool though. Cause then it like really challenged you to like step out and be like, Oh gosh, like, all right, how am I going to do this? Yeah. You know, despite not training, am I going to still power through? So that one, that one toasted me a little bit. Um, and you, you definitely carried on that one. You're a beast, dude. No. I could tell I looked over and Doug's just cruising. He's smiling and I'm like, <laughs> you know, just it's, sucking wind. Running with the vest is a different feeling. If you haven't done it a lot, it's weird. Cause like you have to play this, this is a fine line of like wanting the vest to be tight enough where it's not moving around, but also not Restricting tight, your too breathing, tight yeah. where you can't breathe and you kind of have to learn to feel that out. But yeah, you crushed it, bro. You crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think miles one to four were pretty not great. And then five through seven, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, all right, yeah, we're good. And uh, okay, so onto the pull-ups. I actually felt pretty darn good pretty almost all the way through. You monstered them. The, the hands started to hurt for sure. I'd say around 500, 600. Um, but I did no tape. You did the tape. Talk about the tape. Well, bro. So it's funny. You're a heavy sweater. Yeah, I'm, I do sweat a lot. Like that's just kind of my nature. But I never used tape at all during prep. But I also used a couple different bars. I lived the the past five months. I've been in Orlando, living with the Snacky family, and you know we have a home gym with like a pad, like a rubber grip padded bar. And then I would go to the gym there, and we had like one of those like um, what's the, it's like a it's a coated yeah, bar. Yeah, yeah, I know. What you're but it's about. not one of those shiny slick bars. So I've been you know, prepping a lot on different surfaces. 
but not really any the kind that your gym had. It's like so very smooth. It's, it's smooth. Almost metal, like slip. if you have any sweat at all, it's slip. You will Slippery. slide off. Yeah. So I knew that going in. I was like, okay, I'm probably gonna want to throw some tape on and uh, try to get some sort of grip, and and that worked. But the issue that I didn't realize is that through the sweat in my hands and just the constant like gripping of the bar, the tape actually started to come off onto my hands, and it created this like sticky situation where after every set of five i would have to like peel my hands off the bar which was causing yeah, you, like in the last one you had to like slow release and then drop yeah which fatigued your lats a pretty good bit 100 percent. you can't just like drop off the bar and so i actually have a blister on my the inside of my hand i'm looking at it right now that you can see where the skin is you know slowly being ripped off from yeah, that's that. pretty so, gnarly i don't remember what number i'm trying to think but i remember vividly you threw me a towel and i was just going to wipe my hands off but then I ended up throwing up a towels on the bar to actually go over the tape. Yeah. And so the last, you know, probably a couple hundred of the pull-ups, I did it with towels and that helped a ton. Um, but man, it was, that was the hardest part by far for the pull-ups was just the condition of my hands, not necessarily the muscular fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a fun one. We, we did crush it. You still crushed it despite the hand situation. Like we, we, we were on pace. So our goal is five pull-ups every minute on the minute in training. That's kind of what we planned for. And we were able to hit every single split. Yeah, which is, it's crazy when you put it like this, but that's 220 minutes of pull-ups. Yeah, yeah. Which is, some people you know might think that's a little crazy, but like it just, you just sit there and we just locked in and we just did it and- It just gets monotonous at it a does. certain point. Two hour, two and a half hours almost of just pull-ups yeah. and no music and you're just chilling. So right. onto the push-ups. I felt pretty good, uh, but we, 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 I think we started a little later than we thought. And Levi, who's filming it, he had a trip planned overseas later in the afternoon. <laughs> we thought we were going to finish a little bit sooner than we did because um, there was a trath or an Ironman race going on. So we had to kind of fight traffic. And we, yeah, it took a little longer to get set up than we anticipated. We should, we should quickly address that. Like, I think it's, it's good for people to know, whenever you try to do something like this, there's always gonna be hurdles. How many obstacles, oh we don't have to go through all of them, but like the thing with the Ironman, like we found out about that literally the night before at dinner. At dinner, at dinner I'm sitting there, I'm like, I was actually telling you, I was like so excited. <laughs> I was like, dude, there's an Ironman race here. It's so sick, we should do one one day. Like, oh, oh my gosh wait a second wait there's an iron man like the whole island is shut down essentially and so we started scrambling we're like you know do we pivot where do we go i was bummed because i was like visually like i'm a creative and i'm like i want this thing to look banger visually for sure and so i'm kind of like dang like this sucks i want to see the sunrise blue hour golden hour and uh you know we called some people and they're like you should be good on the north end so it ended up working out but it just took a little longer to navigate and and get there yeah but yeah levi like having to go overseas you know to catch catching his flight to get there he's like guys like i gotta roll around what 130 at the latest yep. so i looked at doug doug we looked at me math. we were like trying to figure this out and we're like okay how fast do we have to go we started repping our goal was 10 every minute for push-ups and squats push-ups and squats separately and we were like all right let's do it every 50 seconds we did that for like three or four rounds. We're like, let's go every 45. We did that three or four rounds. Let's go every 30. Like, like we just, we just kept, kept like lowering like it lower time. and lower and lower. And 
I mean, we were repping. We were locked in though. That was crazy. Dude, that, I went like full dark mode. dark mode. I did not talk for like 15, 20 minutes, just trying to lock in. And uh, little G came in, that was little nice, buddy, that little was a nice surprise. baby Levi came in and kind of lifted the morale, made it a lot of fun, gave, gave us a little boost. But yeah, knocked those out. That was pretty chill, honestly, all the way through. I mean, it was tough, but like, I think that was the easiest part, wouldn't Agreed. you say? 100% easiest part for sure. And then we we get into the air squats, and we're like, how much time do we have? <laughs> and we saw the clock ticking, and we're like, dude, we got to like, we, got, we really got to start cranking. Yeah, to get up for sure. And we were, we were thinking of doing 10 every minute on the minute. We ended up, we ended up doing 25 every, was it 40? It's every kind of a feel, but roughly every 40 seconds. Every 35 to 40 seconds, yeah. we were doing 25. So we do 25, rest 35, 40, boom, right back at it. The amount of lactic acid buildup Bro. was ridiculous. I think we did all 700 in what, under 30 minutes? Yeah, it was, we, we were like, we were crushing them. It was, it was going, we were going fast. In the last hundred, I was just like, I mean, you see the light at the end of the tunnel and it was like, the challenge was hard. Correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but I was like, we haven't, we haven't suffered yeah. yet. Like yeah. really suffered. So I was like, let's blast a hundred just to finish this thing. And we get going and I get 50 in and my legs just like, I tried to go down and could not go down. So shook the legs out real quick, hopped right back into it. And uh, you you were cranking. You're absolutely plowing. Well, dude, I, I got to the point where it hurt so bad. And I don't know, like if someone can, I'm trying to explain this where you can visualize this, but like when you do a squat, like you're supposed to be pretty controlled, like kind of, you know, on the way down, you don't have to necessarily be eccentric, but like keep a fluid motion. I got to the point where I was just like letting my body fall into the low squat position by gravity and then yeah. just trying to press up through it. And like, it was tough, dude. My, like you said, the biggest thing for me, I think, was my legs got so full of blood. Like just the, yeah. the pump was crazy. It was ridiculous. We and dude, you go, you go low. Well, I, sh I struggle to get low, y'all. I like, <laughs> I, my hip is just, I'm, I'm like an 80 year old man over here. This dude is like, getting to the flow no, i mean you're no. getting down so some of them but no it, that was that was tough but i like what you said because you know i've it's fun i have another, another really really close friend lucas who have done a lot of you guys have obviously heard him on here we did the 50 mile together some other hard fitness challenges and i'm excited for all three of us to do something soon Oof. um but one of the big things he loves is like not training or preparing for a thing and just suffering which is cool i respect it but like honestly <laughs> We didn't do it perfectly, but I think our training really set us up. Like mm -hmm. this would not, we would not have had the same outcome yesterday if no. we had not have trained the way we did for two months because like we were prepared for sure. That's one of the things I just, as an athlete, as someone who played sports, like I love Lucas's mentality of just sending it. But <laughs> I think, you know, doing the, the prep um, for I something the prep. specific, I, I eat it up. Yeah. It's because you get to see the the fruit and the reward of like how dialed in was I in my training, how calculated was I, how intentional, and you know with with you know the marathons, with half marathons, now with this, it is so fun to see like how you can tweak your training and be like, okay, next time I'm going to do it better by doing X Y Z. 
But dude, honestly, we were so dialed. Like I would not have done anything different. I think we yeah. tapered like perfectly. I think we hit the amount of reps we needed to hit in training. It, it was pretty flawless. Dude, I couldn't agree more, man. And I just, again, I think, I want to hear from your perspective, but I think the big overarching thing for me, wrapping this up was just the gratitude of being able to do it, bro. Like, it was fun. Like, I really, there were so many logistical things. Like, you were thinking more probably creatively about it. I was thinking on, you know, we had some incredible brand partners, which I'll, I'll refer to in a second, that supported this challenge. And I want to make sure we take care of them and honor them and respect them. And there was just so much going through my head. And I was like, I, I just got to lay that to the side. Yeah. And I want to be so present. And I think I'm really grateful I was able to get to a state where I really was consumed in the moment of that. And at the end, I was like, we just did it. Like, yeah. I'm just grateful to do that. And in the, in the night before uh, sitting down with Levi, like Levi is unreal. Unbelievable. He is so talented. And I've, I've seen him from like his first camera out in Hawaii when we met seven years ago, uh, had this rinky dink camera all the way to now and just watching him progress and seeing his workflow and uh, just his intentionality uh, to get better at his craft. And like through the documentary to now, I mean, I think the documentary is incredible, but even seeing yesterday's footage, I was like, he is truly at the top of the top of the game. And no. the way he was able to kind of help uh, ease our minds, because we're like, yeah, how are we going to tell this story? How are we going to capture these brands? How are we going to piece this whole thing together? Uh, and having him do that was great. But back to what you said, like when we finished, I did not expect to get emotional. Yeah, you did. Like at all. Like, dude, it really hit me. What was going through your mind? Like what emotions were you facing? You just, you said something um, that triggered it. Uh, I'm trying to think exactly what you said. Do you remember? It was like, well, I started, I started to kind of talk about how, like, I was like, bro, like you, you did that. Like the doctors literally looked you in the eyes and said you had a 7% chance of being here. I think that's and, what hit me. And I think just the realization of like project seven is all about your 7% chance of living, which is like very low. Yeah. yeah Especially hearing the news as a, as a younger person. So, yeah. Yeah. Just hearing that hit me and, and just like the appreciation and gratitude I had knowing, you know, that's it. Like there's people who are really suffering. I mean, we know what's going yeah. on in the world right now. Absolutely. Like I've seen people suffer and I, this, this is what I said too. Like I've seen people suffer at such a crazy scale. Um, I've seen people in the hospital at the same time I was there who ended up dying. Like been in third world country. Like I've, I've seen immense suffering and to know that and feel grateful that we get the opportunity to like choose to do it and it's in a controlled environment and there's such purpose behind it. Yes. And I just was thinking back to all the people on the live stream sending their support and yeah, it was just like a crazy range of emotions, but yeah, super grateful. That's it was awesome. amazing, bro. I'm so, so glad we got to do that together. I and mean, that's a memory. Like I tell people all the time right now in this phase that I'm in, I'm like, I want to create memories lifelong memories with the people that I love and the people that I enjoy doing life with. And like, there's no one can take away yesterday. Like no one can take away ever. the first project seven ever. Like thankful, like you and I have that moment together. Like we got to honor your story and like inspire a lot of people. 
and we'll, we'll always have that. And I'm excited to do more of that. But that's been kind of the big thing for me is like, man, let's do more of that. And anyone listening, like I encourage you to do that. It doesn't have to be some massive challenge. Like do something with someone you love and like just make it a memorable experience that you can have with that person. Your relationship will forever change. When you go through like something really hard with another individual, it just changes the nature of your relationship. Absolutely. I want to, I do want to quickly thank some of the brands that, uh, you know, were super kind to support this first, like here of doing project seven. I mean, it's, we came to them with an idea, with a vision, you know, with a heart behind it, which I think is awesome. But like, there was no proof of concept. There was no, like, this is what we've done last year. Like we yeah. literally came to them with a new idea and to see, you know, power lift, supply incredible product with hydration and uh, their support. Go Ruck, obviously we wore the vests. We had the shoes, the Rough Runners, which I thought were great and custom patches. Patches are sick. Which were really cool. Yeah, Daniel crushed the design, helped with the design on those. Um, and really quickly on the patches, I, I, love, I love when I can share with our podcast community a little bit of like inside knowledge. Those patches, guys, because a lot I got some DMs about it, and you did too. People like, where can we get the patches? Yep. We Daniel and I have decided we're gonna be we're gonna be doing a couple things with the patches, but a portion of them will be going in some aim orders that will be going out soon with these new aim hats that we wore in the challenge. So if you're looking for the patches, just know that they're coming. You're gonna have an opportunity to get one. So I know some people really wanted the patches because they're sick. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, and then obviously 10,000 just, you know, bless us with, with some incredible gear. They have some of the best gear in the game. And, um, I think both of us really embody the vision of that brand and how, how it aligns with kind of what we wanted to accomplish. And, uh, it's just, it's hands down best gear in the game. Like, yeah, (laughs) I mean, it is, it is phenomenal. Just the functionality of it and comfort. I mean, it's absolutely legit. Very legit. And then obviously I have to include my, my boys at Ice Barrel for, for sending down a barrel to Wilmington, which I think you'll you'll enjoy more now oh, that the uh I'm stoked. You'll get your your stuff together. And uh last but not least, obviously Kaizos. Kaizos is my supplement company and, and we were able to kinda of use that the night before and last night to help with recovery. And last night, bro, I was Bro, I was zonked. I was, I was struggling to wake up. I'm not gonna lie. But Kaizos is legit every night the best so really just want to say thank you to to that group of brands for believing in us and um yeah stepping out in faith knowing that you know our hearts are you know in the right place but obviously we we just want to help people and so to see that support was really special but last question i have for you as we wrap this thing up bro like where do you see project seven going and you can i want you to answer that but also talk broader like with your personal life like where do you see yourself going and growing from this dang it's a good question. Just leave, leave us with some like, yeah, some wisdom or like some vision of like where you're excited to grow and learn and build into with yeah. Project 7 and also just. Yeah, around. with Project 7, we, I think I was a little bit surprised at how many people decided to end up doing it this go around with, sure. you know, never seeing it done before. Um, that was really cool. And I know you talked to some people at Running Man who were heavily interested in bringing that to their CrossFit community, uh, which got me thinking like, people are really starting in, I don't know if you want to share who it was, but like yeah. people are really starting to latch onto this and like pretty big time individuals, which I think is so cool um, that they caught the vision for it. And I see it being an annual thing, like every single year, whether it's doing this exact workout next year, or, you know, 
another crafting something else but yeah having a project seven every single year in doing it around the time of the diagnosis i think we you know obviously we couldn't do that this year because uh the idea hadn't even been generated until until a little bit after but yeah doing doing a project seven every single year to test my limits to push myself uh, to share my story, my faith, inspire other people. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that is, is something I want to do. And obviously you're going to be a part of that and anyone who wants to be a part of it. And, and also, I mean, we, we got to figure out logistics, but I want to make it much more open because there were quite a few people who, you know, towards the end asked us if they could do it with us. And, you know, we, we'd already had so many brands like send stuff and we were, you know, kind of doing, doing our thing with you. And, uh, we had Levi record a lot of logistical factors in that, but making it open for people to show up and participate in, I think would be really, really cool. Um, even very with impactful. a partner yeah. <clears throat> or a team or scaling it, like we'll make it in a way that's it can be modified, but I, I yeah. love what you said about making it more of a community-driven thing. Absolutely. Want it to be a community thing. I think that's that's big. This first one, it was like the, we're, the, we're the guinea pigs of our own experiment, you know? Yeah. Um, literally. <laughs> literally. I kind of like that phrase. But, uh, yeah, so definitely that there. And then in terms of, like, life, man, this is so hard. I, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. Like, I... I, I've tried to take uh, like there was a there was a phrase or a quote I can't remember who who said it but since I was going through all my treatments I really appreciated this one dedicate yourself to today because tomorrow is not promised and so I, I try and I've grown in my ability as a visionary obviously like with projects that with so many different things but I. I at the core, I really try and live presently and not think too far in advance. I think the pendulum has swung a little and I've gotten a little too far in the future and, you know, it's maybe settling a little, but yeah, dude, I don't know. I I really don't know. Um, and that's where, from what I've seen, it's so cool how the Lord interrupts my plans of what I want my life to be and drops in these massive things of inspiration Mm. the victory documentary just the inception of that i'm I'm sitting on my back porch and i have a vision of the whole thing and you know with project seven how that came about i wasn't just sitting there thinking like oh what's something crazy i could do like it was in a moment where the lord like started speaking and so I just want to be open and available for the Lord to speak. Um, but I, I, I really want to continue doing challenging things with awesome people um, and push myself physically and, yeah, just see where that kind of kind of leads me. And I, I do love, like, it, it's really cool working with these brands. I, I, I genuinely loved it. It was a lot of fun creatively, like thinking through, you know, how can we – capture this brand's identity visually because at the end of the day i am a creative and um i love storytelling i think that's one of my favorite things is just telling a story i mean my tattoo sleeve is like my story um so being able to yeah share stories do some do hard things 
challenge myself physically, uh, share the gospel, share Jesus through it in a way that's not, yeah, I don't know how to say this, but like in a very classy way that's not forceful, but very, real. very real, very authentic. I, I don't like staged things. I, I want things to be very authentic. I love and crave authenticity, and I think our generation is craving authenticity as a whole. So, yeah, that's kind of the vision for things. And, bro, thank you for having me on this podcast. That was a lot. I don't even know how long. It's been a while. Yeah, this has been a great episode. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm a big believer. If we're going to do it, we got to do it right. And yep. your story is not one to be taken lightly, and I, I wanted to make sure that we, we gave it the attention that it that it definitely deserves. So. I'm super stoked that you came on the show. This is not going to be the last time that you're going to be on the AM podcast. I'm excited to do more dope stuff with you and, and bring you back on and talk about it. And hopefully we can keep helping one person at a time. Amen. Let's Thanks, go, brother. bro. Thanks for coming on, bro. I love you, bro. Thank you guys so much for listening to another great episode of the AIM podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And if you found value in it, I ask that you kindly share this with a friend. We want to continue to grow this community and help more and more people every single day. If you have any questions for me, if I can ever help you anyway, please reach out to me at Doug Elks on all social. I'd be happy to help you out. Let's get after this week. Let's crush it. And as always, keep ambition in mind.